Mom and I made a pact we'd come and visit every year. But I guess life happened. Mom, I'm going to talk to you about tonight. Mom. Right now we have exciting things on the table. A modeling contract most girls would only dream of. Why don't you listen to me? You think I wouldn't notice plane tickets to Australia? Even when your daughter is plastered on every magazine in New York, it's like you still can't see me. Look at you! What does your mom think about you coming to stay? She thinks that's a great idea. Sasha! Or this is Chica. And this is Tom. Where are you going? Come on! When was the last time you went swimming? In the ocean? I miss most of my childhood. So I could be where you wanted me. I fit into your life. And now, I'm doing something on my own terms. Corey, you can't just always run away. I am not running away. I am running towards something else. Something on my own terms. These are really good. Thank you. Our family makes strong women, and you're one of them. Be proud of that. Things happen and they change us and we can't control that. What you can control is how they change you. You wouldn't think it with all those American accents, but you're just listening to the trailer for a new, very Australian film called Riptide. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. Riptide, I'm squarely young women, is a family drama starring Disney sensation Debbie Ryan as Cora. Cora is a young and beautiful New York model who flees America to the sandy shores of sunny down under to escape the pressures of her high-end career and her over-demanding mother Sophia, played by Daniel Carter, who listeners will know from TV's House Husbands and Offspring. In this episode, I'm joined by Riptide director Rhiannon Bannenberg, a very impressive filmmaking talent whose credits include Ambrosia and Embedded, a film in which she was cinematographer. Joining us is Riptide producer Steve Jaggy, whose company, The Steve Jaggy Company, has produced a number of Australian films this year, including Rough Stuff and the upcoming Zealous. Their two names we're very confident you'll be hearing a lot more of over the coming years. This is a must-listen for young filmmakers looking to get into the local film industry, we're sure you'll get a lot out of it. Anyway, enjoy. So Rhiannon and Steve, uh, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's uh, great to have you with us. Thanks for having us. Uh, I want to go back to the very beginning for both of you. Uh, when did you first realise that you uh, both wanted to make movies? Well, nobody ever asked me that, so thank you. Um, I... Just, you know, I always had a, a, an interest in film growing up. I mean, it wasn't my first career choice. I think my first career choice was being an astronaut. Um, but uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I wasn't smart enough to do that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I went to university and I didn't study film, actually. I, I studied anthropology. 
Um, and then I, I kind of got into film by accident, but um, it's something that I'd always been fascinated by, you know, by the human condition. And, and um, um, I just always really enjoyed really fun movies and movies that kind of moved me. And um, growing up in, in Canada, in a very small kind of city in Canada, where we had really horrible winters that lasted for six or seven months and you couldn't do anything because um, it was so cold. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that all my friends and I would do three, four days, sorry, three or four times a week is we would go to the cinema because the cinema was cheap and it was, uh, it was a great way to, um, to, to escape the winter. Wow. And Rihanna? Uh, well, you know, I'd always been, I'd always loved photography, music, um, film, uh, novels. I was, I was a, a prolific reader when I was really young, um, I was, my mom always tells me stories that I was, you know, when I was in early primary school, I was bringing back like grown up novels that I was reading from the school library. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I had a hunger for stories and characters. Um, and, but for me, my avenue into filmmaking was definitely through music. Um, music, something I've always done. And I, I find music very moving and I also find it a great way to be able to express myself as an artist. And so when I left school, um, I didn't even think about it. I just knew that I wanted to go and study music. And it was once I was at university, um, I really started looking at the idea of actually putting music to, to pictures. Um, and so I started writing um, music for some short films and then ended up making my first feature, Ambrosia, um, you know, predominantly so that I could write the score. And then I ended up falling into all these other roles Um you know, within making that film as well, but it was, yeah, through the music. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, so what brought you two together? Well, uh, I had made, so the film I was just talking about then, Ambrosia, I'd been making that and I was, you know, it was sort of put together and was, you know, you could sit and watch it. Um, it needed some refining, but it was very much, you know, semi-finished state and I went to a, a film networking evening and I met Steve there and I showed him the trailer that I cut of the film and um yeah that's how we met each other. Steve what, what did you say when uh, you said when you first saw that uh, trailer? Um uh, <laughs> uh you know I um this is going to sound quite horrible but I suppose I get presented presented with a lot of stuff, and um, I, I remember taking the DVD, and oh, I think I saw the trailer, and it was beautifully shot. But I remember Rhiannon gave me the film on on DVD, and and it was kind of like a stack of movies that never get watched, you know, in the office. And um, uh, and then I, I remember I, I remember this quite well that that evening. I just um, I had trouble sleeping, and, and I put on Ambrosia thinking this is going to sound horrible, but I thought, oh, I'll fall asleep to it because it'll be a really awful movie. And uh, <laughs> but, um, it's often the case, unfortunately, with, you know, first-time filmmakers. And um, But I, I put it on and it was just such an amazing film. And, you know, it obviously need, needed work and stuff, but but I could just see instantly that how talented Rhiannon was. And there was just, it really blew me away. So uh, I think I called Rhiannon the next day. I didn't sleep at you know, nine in the morning whenever I called her up. and Seven. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably probably on, on, on Rhiannon. Like I was very, I was very like, look, I, you know, I want to be very upfront and say, look, it needs work, and I want to bring another editor on board. And I think we did some pickups and stuff as well. And like we we did a lot of work. So I think Rhiannon, I think you were under the impression the film was done. And for me, it was like, no, we need six more months of work on this. Mm, yeah. Well, and also, you know, it was my first film, and I, you know, I 
I hadn't even made a short before. So it was just my first go at filmmaking and my, um, I was very proud of it and I worked on it very, very hard with a group of, of friends, but my, um, my ambitions for the film were quite different to Steve's, I guess. Um, I sort of thought, you know, this is a great, we've made something beautiful with my group of friends. We're really proud of it, but you know, mum and dad will watch it <laughs> and then we'll move on to something else. Yeah. Um, and Steve was, you know, a great vehicle for being, no, like, I think you need to show this to more than just your parents. Mm. Um, and I'm so glad that that happened because, you know, it then sort of turned into something else, which was even more beautiful. Um, and a lot more people got to see it. Is it a curse? I think it was, oops, sorry. Go on. go on. No, no, you go on. Sorry. Is it a curse that first-time filmmakers always think that their films are, you know, an Oscar, an Oscar-worthy film? Not, not with Rhiannon. I, I think, to be honest, it was the opposite. I think Rhiannon was very humble and was very like, okay, you know, I'm again. I remember being on this phone call and I remember saying like, look, I want to bring a new editor on. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And I think, I think Rhiannon was very reluctant because I think, yeah, it, it, for me. When I first saw, it, I thought, you know, I'm like, okay, well, let's 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 double down on this and then take it out theatrically, which is, you know, what we ended up doing. But I don't think that at all was what Rhiannon was thinking. Was it Rhiannon? Like, I think it was. It was. Um, there was a bit of, you know, kind of. I mean, Rhiannon had to take a really big leap of faith in me um, because I, I think that she she didn't. That wasn't what her intent was with it at all. Um, but it certainly mm. had that potential. So that because mm. you're right, Matthew. Like a lot of first time filmmakers, and that's the challenge where I sit as a producer. Often I'm approached by filmmakers who they have a film that is okay, but they think it's going to get into Venice or they think it's going to open on hundred screens or and it's like, no, you don't. But in this particular circumstance, I saw a film that had just so much potential, not just for this film, but was a great launching pad for, I, th I think, a stellar career. And then there was a filmmaker at the other end of it who was so humble that she didn't, didn't see that. And that was a first for me. So, Rhiannon, uh, Riptide's your fourth feature film that you've worked on, uh, and uh, you seem to have done it all already, from composer, editor, writer, director, and cinematographer. Uh, what title do you give yourself now? <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite a, a mouthful, isn't it? Um, look, d definitely director. Um, I, I do, as I said before, music is where I started, and I will always continue with my music, but that's something that I can do just personally anyway, no matter what I'm doing. Um, but the great thing about directing is, <clears throat> uh, it allows you to stay connected to all of those things. You know, I really believe that as a good director, you need to be across the cinematography and the music and the writing and all of these things. So for me, it's, it's good to have a focus. I think sometimes, um, people, perhaps hinder the advancement in their career perhaps um, because they're trying to, to be too broad. And so I, I've, I've really enjoyed now focusing on directing, which then, of course, you know, I get to meet wonderful people, amazing, talented people that have specialised in all these other areas um, and then, you know, continue my, my focus as, as directing. Right. So, so moving forward, you want to continue just to be a director? Yeah, I mean, never say never to anything. <laughs> because your cinematography <laughs> but, you know, do... is absolutely gorgeous too. <laughs> yeah, and look, you know, I would absolutely love to to shoot and direct another film, of course, and I will work towards that. But um, 
at the moment directing is, you know, direct, at least directing is putting me in the path of all those opportunities anyway. Yes. So I think, you know, the thing is to have that focus and then when the right film comes along where, you know, it is appropriate for me to shoot and I feel that I'm the right, that, that's the other thing. Just because I, I like to shoot and I can shoot doesn't mean that I'm always the right person to shoot it. Yes. Um, and I'm really aware of that and I, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, directing and shooting projects that I feel like, you know, I can actually add something. Otherwise, you know, someone else should do it. Yes. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Um, for our listeners out there who aren't familiar with Steve's work, uh, over the last uh, two or three years, Steve has produced films including uh, Zealous, uh, Riptide, Rough Stuff, Find Your Voice, Spirit of the Game, Embedded, Burns Point, Skin Deep, Crushed and Ambrosia, with Chocolate Oyster in post-production and Pirouette and King of the Cannibals recently announced. Uh, you're a busy man, Steve. Well, I've got to, got to stay out of trouble, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, so for people who aren't quite sure, what exactly is the role of a producer? Um, well, yeah, I guess that's a good question. Um, and just, just, I suppose, to the audience as well, just to give some clarification, I, I, I don't actually produce all those films. I'd be dead if I did. Um, I, so I either through, you know, through my company, I've got a company in Sydney, and we, we, I, I, I produce and I can both executive produce and sometimes co-produce, and, and it can be quite complicated across the board. But a general, a general rule of thumb is if I, I really believe that the producer's credit is sacrosanct. And, um, you know, you'll see on all of my films, you know, that if I'm the producer, I have the SPA or PGA accreditation after my name. And, um, and I really pres- try to preserve that credit. And so I'll only take a producer's credit on a film if I'm involved in that project from cradle to the grave and um and i have a very meaningful contribution both creatively and um usually financially and um uh, um you know so we also we also co-produce films and we also executive produce films and some of those films you mentioned we were more as executive producers um just engaged in in financing and whatnot but um but look yeah we are busy and um, i suppose to answer your question what does a producer do so yeah if i if i have a full producer's credit what that generally means and riptide's a great example of this it's usually a property that we we often would develop in house um and then we would we would package it so we'd find the right writer we'd find the right filmmaker we would um you know obviously bring the 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 the, the buyers together and the financing together and put the whole package together and then work with the filmmaker throughout the, the process and then be responsible for delivering that film and you know what and then a, a core part of of course being a producer these days as well as staying on top of how the industry is changing and the very nature and role of what a producer is and is it's just changed so dramatically and what we're finding now is that as a producer you know we're involved with the film for years now and um uh we're getting more and more involved in the distribution game as well um that's just the nature of the beast and um you know that i won't bore you with a you know a huge lecture on what the future holds but um but um you know being 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 a producer now it means you have to you know you have to be creatively involved you have to be financially involved i uh, you have to be the one finding the money normally and um, understanding how that works and you have to really intrinsically understand how your film is going to reach an audience um and so you have to be across the board with all of that it's interesting because of all the Q&As that I've hosted over the last couple of years, the number one question that I get from the audience in the cinema is, what is the role of the producer? So, um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for answering that one. I'm sure many people will find it interesting. And I imagine for someone like Rhiannon, uh, filmmaking 
um, is about making films and telling stories that you're passionate about. Is that the same for a producer or is it all about what's going to make the most money? Um, no, you have to be passionate. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of people will know me as being, to be frank, quite outspoken in the Australian industry, um, saying that, you know, part of our, a big part of our responsibility is, is making money. And I think that that's very clear, but I, I think you can't be driven by just making money at the end of the day, if, if that's what you want to do with your life, then film producing is not a good career for you. Um, I think making money is number two. I think number one is making films you're passionate about. Um, what I have learned the hard way is that being a good producer, this is what, this is a difference between, being, I suppose, maybe being a producer and being a director is, but being a good producer, you have to have a very broad portfolio and you have to have films you're passionate about, but that, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily the number one film you're going to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to find a reason to be passionate about something. And what I've, what I've learned is that for me, what brings me passion in a film isn't necessarily making the exact film I'd want to see. It's making a film that if I go into the cinema and I watch an audience, the intended audience watches the film and I'm, and I'm, you know, with that audience and they love the movie and they're, you know, shouting and crying in the cinema and they walk out and they say, wow, that film is amazing. And it changed their life somehow, or it makes them, inspires them to lead a better life. Then, then that, that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to achieve with movies. And, and, um, that, that, that's my number one goal is to make pieces of work that, um, that inspire people to do something better with their lives or change their lives or inspire them to lead a better life. Um, and then I think that leads into the second part, which is making money. It dovetails into that because if you're making a film that connects with audiences, then audiences will seek those films out, whether it be in the cinema or on, on VOD or, or SVOD or whatever. And then inevitably, you know, you will make money. So I think the two are, 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 you know, they're not mutually exclusive, but you, you can't be driven first and foremost by making money. You've got to have something that sits on top of that. Yes. Uh, so Rhiannon, we're here to talk about Riptide. Uh, can you tell us a bit about uh, how you became involved in the film and also what the film's about itself? Yeah, of course. Um, well, first of all, the Riptide is um, it's a, a coming-of-age story about a young New York model named Cora who's played by um, Disney's Debbie Ryan. Uh, so she basically runs away um, over to Australia to stay with her aunt and, you know, as she's embraced by the local community in Australia, which is very different from her, her usual um, setting in New York, um, she really, you know, is sort of given an opportunity to question the, the direction that she's taking um, and, you know, decide to take her own path rather than the one that's sort of been laid out for her um, by her mother back in New York. Um, and I, I came um, to the project really through Steve, uh, um, Look, to be fair, it was kind of Steve's um, Steve's idea from the beginning, um, and then I um, he brought on Georgia Harrison, who was the writer, and then um, you know there were definitely things even from the very beginning that I connected with. You know, even just the fact that you know a lot of the story takes place you know in a small coastal town. I grew up down on the south coast of New South Wales. Um, so that kind of environment and the sort of characters that we see in Riptide were very familiar to me. Um, and also it's a story about a young woman and a group and particularly a group of, a group of women, um, from different generations. And that's, um, something that I have a, a keen interest in as well. So in that way, I was, I was suited to it and, and found a, a connection to it. Um, but it was the actual genesis of it was, was really accredited to Steve. Uh, Steve, you've said that uh, Debbie was attracted to the film because of Rhiannon. Can you elaborate on that a little more? 
Um, sure, sure. I, you know, I think that um, it'll come as no surprise to anyone that um, casting a marquee star like Debbie Ryan is incredibly difficult. And um, there, there are only a certain number of names that existed in, in the kind of uh, film ecosystem that can greenlight a project. And um, uh, there are so many films, including films of ours, that you know are, are beautiful projects that just languish and go no languish and go nowhere because you can't attach the right name. Um, and you know, we had a beautiful script, and uh, you know, I like to think that I have a reasonable reputation. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it, it, it was Rhiannon, and 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 it was Rhiannon's work. Um, it was Ambrosia, which of course is an amazing debut film, and and then a testament to Rhiannon herself. And I think you know, um, Debbie was past the material. She liked the script, but she was umming and aahing. And then we sent her a copy of Ambrosia, which she really connected with. And then I know she had a Skype call with Rhiannon. And then after the Skype call, the manager got back to me and said, hey, listen, Debbie loves Rhiannon. Let's do this film. And that, that's how we got it. <laughs> how did you feel about that, Rhiannon? Oh, look, I mean, Debbie was wonderful. Um, and we did. We did have a – we did send her a copy of, of Ambrosia. And, and I did have that first Skype chat with Debbie um, and, you know, we really, we really hit it off. Um, and, you know, when Debbie did eventually come out here, she was just wonderful. She's incredibly talented and bright, um, and has a wicked sense of humor. And, you know, what's interesting is that in the, in the story of Riptide, her character, Cora, basically comes over on her own to a, a total new environment, new community of people. Um, and that was very much what Debbie was doing. She got on a plane, came out by herself, and she gave Riptide, you know, 100%. Um, so to her credit, I think, you know, and I think that really shows in the film. She did a beautiful job. And um, it was also, you know, did something different for her. She'd done a lot of the sort of American Disney sort of sitcom style. Um, but this was this is quite different for her. And I think for her it was um, a bit of a... Yeah, sort of a, I don't know, a bit of a, I almost want to say a retreat, you know. It was a totally different environment. You know, she did lots of surfing. She was in the water. Um, and then just, you know, what we were actually asking of her in terms of her character and the acting and the style and everything was was a little different. So I think that sort of um, really energised her. And she went back to the States just saying that um, she really wants to come back and <laughs> live in Australia. So she had no fear of uh, sharks or jellyfish like her character in the film? No, she didn't actually. She was, she was like, okay, she literally landed and was like, right, let, like, when am I getting out in the water? Like, I want to get out with a surfboard and have a go. She was, yeah, she was really great. Oh, she sounds like a trooper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, women are heavily represented in uh, both in front of and behind the camera. Uh, was this a conscious decision or did it just work out that way? Uh, Steve, do you want to answer that? Yeah, sure. No, I, I think it, it was a conscious decision in so much as, um, firstly, you know, from a kind of the director down, just if, you know, going back to, to the kind of films that you mentioned earlier on there, Matthew, we, uh, as our wheelhouse continues to kind of get more and more defined, we find ourselves working with more and more female filmmakers, um, and there's a number of reasons behind that. Um, I won't bore you with all of them, but a lot of it has to do with dependability and, and teamwork. And, and we really enjoy working with female filmmakers. So, you know, from 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 day one, obviously there's there's Rhiannon, and, and then down from there, you know, kind of it was a project that was 
you know, reverse engineered in so much as we knew who the audience was. We knew exactly who we were making this film for. Um, and, um, you know, Georgia was the right person for the job. It's not that we could have, you know, it's, we didn't, I didn't go out of my way to hire, um, um, women over men, but, but the female practitioners just seem like a better fit on this film. And, um, and it, to be honest with you, it's, it's been that way now for a while on a lot of our films. And, um, I think that certainly paid off when the cast, you know, like Rhiannon just said, Debbie flew, you know, 5,000 miles from LA on her own. You know, we also had Naomi who, who, although she's originally from Australia, you know, she's a Disney star that was over based in LA and she flew down on her own. So we've got a lot of actors in her very early, 20s who were asking to be away from home for a month, uh, you know, working with strangers. And it really made for a very invite, inviting atmosphere and a welcoming atmosphere to have a set where you had a, you know, a female first AD, a female cinematographer and a female director. Um, it was a very calm set and, um, which is great. And I think we needed that as well to get through the, the hectic shooting schedule. Uh, actually, my wife made a comment while we were watching the film. Uh, she said that uh, while there are many strong, uh, relatable female characters, most of the surfers out on the water were men. Uh, was there anything in that? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was I was keen to obviously our, our main characters like Chica and Cora and Margot. Um, they're they're all surfers, and you know Cora becomes a surfer. But I also, growing up on the south coast, you know, and I do surf. Um, a lot of the time, it, you know, it's, a, it's sort of changed a bit in the last few years, but all of my childhood, I was always, you know, there's always one girl out and the rest are the boys. And there is still a bit of a, a boys club out there for sure. Um, and so, you know, there's that scene where, where Cora paddles out and she's the only girl and all the, all the guys are out there and she's kind of moving into their space. And that was, you know, I think that was, there was an element of truth in that. And also it was just showing, it was, a, it was a chance to show the way that Cora was growing and, and the fact that she was getting more confidence um, and, you know, having the confidence, just, the confidence just to do what she wanted to do. So um, yes, that wasn't, that wasn't a mistake. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Wow. <laughs> um, so I have one last question for you both. Uh, what shape is the Australian film industry in at the moment? Uh, how do you both see it? Hmm. Is, that, is that a question for you first, Rianne? Ah, oh, well, look, I, I think, um, just look in terms of where I'm, where I sit and where my focus is, um, you know, and I don't know if this is sort of a question perhaps about women in film as well. Um, but you know, I recently was just at the, at the Cinefest Oz festival with Steve actually last week. And, you know, I met a heap of fantastic female filmmakers and all Australian female filmmakers. And I just, um, it was really great. It was one of the first times where I'd actually had an opportunity to meet other uh, filmmakers that were sort of making not similar, not necessarily similar films, but are all trying to do similar things um, in our own ways, whether it's documentaries, features that go overseas or in Australia. And, um, and I, I felt really supported there and, and it was really, it really gave me some, um, some added confidence to keep going. And the other thing is, um, I, I attended a panel where there are a stack of female directors and they were talking about, uh, particularly young girls in Australia. Um, often a lot of people see a shift when they're sort of 
mid mid primary school level, um, girls' confidence suddenly starts to really drop and the boys' confidence really skyrockets. And I, I bring this up because Riptide that's our market, you know, our target audience. Obviously, it's a family film and it's accessible to everyone. Um, but our target audience is sort of late primary to early high school teen girls. And at Cinefest Oz, we did have the opportunity to screen it to hundreds of school kids and they really embraced it and really loved it. And I feel very excited to have worked on a film that is set in Australia with a lot of Australian characters and actors and it's predominantly for these young girls that, you know, and it's a film that's very uplifting and positive. And so, you know, I think, yeah, I, I'm excited to have contributed something positive to that. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Did you happen to catch uh, Romney Trower's What If It Works at Cinefest Oz? Yes, yes, I did. And I loved it. And I also got to, you know, hang out with her as well. Yeah, she's, um, she's and terrific. She, She's so lovely, and I'm I'm really really glad that I got the opportunity to meet her. <laughs> uh, Steve, would do you want to have a crack at that question? Yeah, well, sure. Um, I'll take it from a slightly different angle, and um, I think that from where I sit um, in my producer's chair, this is the best time in at least a decade um, for making movies. There's more money available than there's ever been, and there's more opportunities to have your work seen and to monetize your work, and the audience base is growing. Um, I think a key word that a lot of us forget is, uh, you know, international or global. It's a global business, and um, I look at the opportunities that are available to us here in Australia, um, and what we have to really be focusing on is um, is taking advantage of, of this global business and not just sitting um, with kind of, you know, blinders on, focusing purely on Australia. And um, I think that, it, you know, we can all, we all know it's no secret that the agency funding is being cut and broadcaster funding is being cut here in Australia. However, you know, the, the, the amount of, of, of money that's available um, internationally is, is, is treble or, 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 or quadruple what it was even, even four years ago. Uh, and there's just a demand, an insatiable demand for content. Um, I think the core challenge for all of us, and this is a lesson I've had to learn the hard way, the core challenge for all of us is that um, the secret isn't making, you know, our own passion stories. The secret is making stories that audiences want to watch and, and that the market wants. Um, but the market has an insatiable um, um, appetite right now for films. So I think there's never been a better time for those of us that are uh, savvy enough to make the right films. That's very exciting. Uh, Rhiannon and Steve, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud. For all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews, you can visit www.cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Cinema Australia.